Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Squat Cobbler. This is episode insert blank here. My name is Dr. Mike. You can find me at Official Pagan on everything and joining me as always. Hi, everybody. It's the Reverend Kelly at K-E-L-L-Y-T-H-U-L on Twitter and Instagram. Not really, but I, I feel jealous that Mike has a, a title and I don't. I mean, you could be a minister, sir. I could. Just, I think I am. I think I filled out the necessary form, but I need to do a little more research. Excellent. Well, you know, before we get any further into into tonight's topic, which isn't Kelly becoming a minister, although all of you should, you should like and subscribe wherever it is that you're getting this content. We would greatly appreciate it, and that will be the best way for you to stay attuned to all the late-breaking, highly topical content that Mike and I cover. You know, highly topical is an interesting point because, you know, last episode, now this episode, and, you know, I think we have a few things planned for the future that are sort of topical. And this isn't necessarily something we've done before. I say that as we've reviewed albums that were released in the late 1960s. Yeah, I think our large catalog of album reviews that are 40 plus years old or so might cause someone to doubt our ability to be topical, but we're multifaceted. Yeah, we can also do topical, and we're going to prove that to you whether you like it or not. (laughs) Well, in the interest of being topical, today we're going to talk about, so I I don't know if you guys know, Kelly and I are fans of the whole Breaking Bad universe with Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, as you may know from the other podcast, A Saul and Battery, which is a a Saul-related show, and we discussed Breaking Bad a few times on, on different platforms. So we're fans of this whole universe, and as if you are, I'm sure you're aware, the Breaking Bad movie El Camino was just recently released as we are recording this right now. So we thought this would be a good time to kind of share our feelings on it. There may or may not be some spoilers in this, so that's on you. If you decide to continue listening to this, uh, that's as much warning as you're going to get because we didn't really plan this out. We just decided to kind of wing it and discuss our thoughts on it. I mean, we, we planned it significantly. There was a lot of work that went in advance, but the actual decision points were, were leaving to occur during the show. No, we didn't plan it. We're winging it. So there may or may, <laughs> there may, or may not be spoilers. Uh, we'll try and warn you if we get there. But I'm kind of think at some point, if you're like, I can't know anything about it, like and subscribe and come back later because it'll be super easy for you to do that. And then you can enjoy the show in its full majesty. And, you know, spoiler alert right up front, Walt dies at the end of Breaking Bad, which apparently was a debated topic. Yeah, there were some going into this movie saying we might gain a little bit of an insight of a different outcome, but they took care of it pretty quickly and pretty clearly that Walt did not make it out of Breaking Bad. I personally didn't think that it was left open to interpretation at the end of Breaking Bad. Did you? I think only the most generous conspiracy theorist could come up with, oh, he's going to be okay. I mean, Breaking Bad was not The Walking Dead. So Walking Dead, occasionally you could say, if I didn't absolutely see the the machine go flatline and they are absolutely 100% out, they could come back. I think about a certain dumpster in Glenn, for example. But Breaking Bad didn't kind of roll that way. So I didn't, I did not have much question that Walt was gone, particularly because as the cops come in on, into the, uh, so spoiler for Breaking Bad, folks, uh, as the cops came in uh, at the end to the meth lab, they kind of looked down and like, yeah, he's gone, and they just kept going. So I thought it was a non-issue. 
Yeah, and especially, like, I mean, I felt like one of the things that I love about Breaking Bad is that they wrapped everything up so neatly. And this is in a post-Lost era. Uh, not that I was a, a follower of that show, but I know a lot of people who were, and they were quite upset when it finally sputtered out into whatever ending they got, which was a show that really wasn't planned in advance. And if I'm not mistaken, I think Vince Gilligan said that, you know, planning out the arc of Breaking Bad and sort of starting the character with with a ticking clock like that was almost a reaction to things like Lost that <laughs> didn't exactly pan out in the end. So to me, it was always set up that he was going to die in the end. And, and the question was the not only the journey the entertainment execution of the journey to get there. But would he face any sort of justice before that clock ran out? Yeah. So before we get into El Camino, I think that'd be a good one that we'll just kind of stay a little on this tangent here. Do you feel Walt um, experienced any consequences for his actions? Um, or appropriate consequences? Okay. I mean, he obviously... Yeah, there there were consequences. Appropriate consequences, not so much. You? Yeah, I think he, you know, kind of was able to tick off most of his list of what he wanted to achieve. He he became great at something. Uh, was respected. You know, I mean, it was a interesting cross section of society that were fans of his work. But he became came uh, quite respected in a field, and he was able to provide for his family, which from an ego standpoint, I think it was less noble and more ego that it was like, I need to be the one that does this versus I need to make sure my family's taken care of. Cause he had options earlier in the series to make sure his family was going to be okay, but it had to be him. So in the end, I think he was able to achieve a lot of what he wanted to left a lot of carnage in his wake. So I don't think there were many significant consequences beyond him dying at the end which was going to be happening pretty soon anyway i mean that's kind of what we all want though isn't it achieve our basic goals leave carnage in our wake it's the tagline for this podcast (laughs) it could be but yeah i mean I, i i feel like what's great about the ending of breaking bad to me was in a sense walt wins sure he dies in a bloody pool in a nazi meth lab but in a sense he wins like he did accomplish everything that in in essence he set out to do including ultimately freeing jesse who he had at one point prior to that wanted dead and does escape the law sure it's by dying but ultimately escapes legal consequences for what he does it is a victory to me uh nazi meth lab great band name by the way or a memoir or or a memoir a memoir (laughs) super depressing poem (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Which, of course, uh, was followed, the show itself was followed by Better Call Saul. Now, you and I have discussed this a little bit. Discussed. Better Call Saul? Yes, we have. <laughs> I, th- I thought there was like, I thought it was a point about Better Call Saul. I was like, oh, no, no. Uh, just, yeah, just yes, we general. have discussed Better Call Saul. Sorry. Discussed, I was like, wait, did Kelly forget this? <laughs> Better Call what? No, I, I thought there was like a point <laughs> like, about No, I'm not really no, into it. No, we have discussed it at length. Over preparation, man. It kills us every time. <laughs> and Better Call Saul, of course, is a prequel to Breaking Bad. And what's great about it, so when you have something that's so successful as Breaking Bad, of course they're going to try and expand on that universe as much as possible because money. But I felt like, and I think what the concern of fans going into Better Call Saul was, was they're going to mess up this great thing. 
by tacking on just like with any movie or TV show, when you start doing sequels and prequels, a lot of times they're just cash grabs that don't in any way capture the magic of the core thing that you love star Wars. And it, it just messes, tarnishes the, the reputation of the greatness that came before at star Wars. So I think what we saw in better call Saul was, you know, we need to trust Vince Gilligan that he knows what he's doing. He knows how to expand this universe in ways that don't step on what was done before by people like uh, George Lucas. So were you concerned when you found out the Breaking Bad movie, which had been rumored for a long time, was definitely coming? Did you have any trepidation as a fan that this was going to somehow tarnish the reputation of Breaking Bad? I didn't, again, because in Vince we trust. I think he's proven it, although he co-writes with Peter Gould, co-created with Peter Gould, Better Call Saul, which Saul is my favorite character in Breaking Bad. I didn't know how that particular character could sustain a series of the quality of Breaking Bad, but they've pulled it off uh, and they've done a great job. So I knew this was a labor of love for Vince, so I I knew that it wouldn't be a straight-out money grab. It was interesting. Jesse's ending being lefted, left open-ended was good, but kind of bringing it to close a little bit was there was some benefit to that as well. So I, I didn't really go into it with any concern. I just didn't know where it was going to necessarily go, but I, I knew it would be well-crafted, whatever it was, because Vince Gilligan's a very talented man. Yes, he is. And, and I felt like this was a situation, and I saw a lot of speculation online that this was something that was going to somehow negate what came before to bring down the the overall perspective of the Breaking Bad universe. And I disagreed with that from from the beginning because we saw not only consistent quality with Breaking Bad, but then consistent quality with the universe expansion that they've done with Better Call Saul, which is essentially a, a prequel, but it does also have some sequel elements to it as well. So, you know, and Jesse's ending was left the most probably open-ended. He just kind of drives off and we don't really know what happened to him other than it's it's clear that he wasn't necessarily going to be okay. <laughs> and he wasn't going to necessarily just easily assimilate back into society. But other than that, we don't really know what happens to his character. And at that time, I feel like that was the right ending for him. But I did appreciate this felt like a little bit of a prologue or a wrap up for Jesse's character rather than a sequel to Breaking Bad, if that makes sense. I would, I would agree that it, it definitely didn't feel like a sequel. I'm not a hundred percent. So it's subtitled and you and I've been chatting offline about this. The subtitle is El Camino, a Breaking Bad movie. And I do struggle a little bit with defining this as a movie versus kind of bonus episodes of Breaking Bad to kind of wrap things up, kind of two hour-long episodes to finish the Jesse Pinkman story. I'm not sure how you pull off something as a movie unless it takes just some profound leap from the source material. And I don't think that would have served Breaking Bad or this this particular movie well. So to me, it was a little bit closer to, hey, we get a little more Breaking Bad, uh, which is never a bad thing as far as I'm concerned, and closure on that, but I didn't feel it was a sequel, but after completely viewing it, totally capturing it as a movie versus bonus episodes, I'm, I'm having a little bit of a trouble making that distinction. First off, my, my kind of take on the subtitling a, a breaking bad movie was, that was interesting to me because I am curious if that means there could be more because it's a breaking bad movie as in there, there could be other breaking bad movies. Like this is just this story. Could we maybe get another, feature length 
deep dive into another character beyond this point, and I would certainly be open to that. As far as TV shows to movies, we've seen this many, many, many times. And to me, it's a really difficult line that I see producers and and filmmakers trying to straddle because I'm going to use two really odd examples here. So have you seen the Simpsons movie? I have. And have you seen Sex and the City, the movie? I have not. (laughs) (laughs) Me neither. But let me talk in great detail like I have. (laughs) Um, No, I have. Um, So someone was a, a fan of Sex and the City, not me. But someone was, and through that, I saw many of the episodes. I I wouldn't go as far as to say all, but probably a a large chunk of it, of that series. Uh, Because it was a HBO series, it was maybe like five or six seasons, and there were relatively shorter seasons. So I've probably seen 80% of it, 75% of it. So I did watch the movie (laughs) when it came out. Because I wanted to, I was like, I've seen the bulk of this material. I might as well watch it when it comes on. There are two different things that happen with movies. And those are the best examples from TV show jumps to movies. Those are the best examples for me. I really enjoyed the Simpsons movie. The Simpsons movie just feels like like a three-part episode of the show. There is really nothing that differentiates that. Like they go on a larger scale sort of adventure. But we've already seen that in the show with the multi-episode arcs. But as far as like there's no significant or dramatic change in the quality of the show, it's an animated series, of course, but there's no big jump in what you're seeing visually. There's nothing that feels different or out of place that they couldn't have done in an episode of the show. And I did enjoy that movie. This is not knocking that movie, but there's really, to me, no difference between that and had they done like a two or three part episode of the series. On the other end of the spectrum, you have Sex in the City, the movie. Sex in the City, since Kelly, air quotes, didn't watch it, <laughs> was uh, mostly a very low-budget show. Uh, it was, it was kind of grainy, single-camera setup. Uh, it was shot on film back in those days. I want to say 16 millimeter, probably, for most of it. But it, it was clearly, up until the later seasons, when it really built its fan base, was clearly not like a huge-budget show. And even with the later seasons, why they while they are clearly upgraded to 35 millimeter or it might have been HD at that point with digital cameras, it's still a TV show (laughs) like it's 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 on par. It looks dramatically different compared to the early episodes of Sex in the City, which look like if Kelly and I bought an older camera and made something (laughs) versus, you know, something with a bigger budget, it's still like. TV show budget. It doesn't seem out of place for any like standard sitcom kind of budget. So when they made the jump to the movie, the movie looks ridiculous and looks so far because at this point the show is over. It's continued to, to grow its fan base and build up this cult following. So they dump all of this money into the movie to make this big, giant, huge I guess blockbuster movie spectacle out of it where they're like traveling all over the world and doing all this crazy stuff. And it feels so out of place of that world. And again, not a fan of it, but I've seen enough of it to understand sort of the dynamics and the look and feel of it. That's something that feels like I'm watching something completely different that happens to have much of the same cast. So oftentimes I I feel like 
one or the other of those happen. It either feels like this didn't need to be a movie. It could have just been, like Kelly said, two episodes of a show. Or it feels so far removed because they were trying to make it feel like a movie and more of an event that you lose the feel of the actual show entirely like Sex and the City. So to me, I felt like this did a really good job balancing that. To a degree, it does feel like two episodes of the show put together, but the scope is a little bit larger. Clearly, there's a little bit more money there. Uh, there is an explosion set piece in there that, you know, budget-wise was probably outside of the episode of one of the shows. Think of the exploding guy in the wheelchair scene, which was some CGI fire coming out of a door versus, you know, giant building explosion. I do think that this did as good a job as anything can in satisfying both of those if that makes sense yeah it does i, I need to kind of unpack a lot of the, <laughs> of your information here a little bit first of all mike talked about uh 16 millimeter film for you, those of you in america that's three and a half feet and then he talked about 35 millimeter that is also three and a half feet um that uh <laughs> that he gave the longest i'm asking for a friend <laughs> angle <laughs> to mask his familiarity with um sex in the city which i'm just if that's going to give you closure sure of course <laughs> no really quibbles just clarifications on the earlier portions there the one quibble i'll have with you is that so i would agree the explosion at the end definitely reflective of a higher budget uh but breaking bad did manage one fantastic explosion which uh, when the cousin showed up and they took the truck out and they're walking away in one shot. Now the problem was they had one shot to do it and they were lucky it came out great. But that was a pretty boss explosion. But I'm with you overall because we had Walt with Tuco early on where they were very efficient in their use of special effects to give it across, but it, it, was, pretty, it was pretty remarkable. You know, and then the other challenge for Breaking Bad, unlike you know the, the allegedly unfamiliar to Mike Sex in the City, uh, is... Cinematic, you know, Breaking Bad was cinematic. So a lot of times you go, oh, the movie's going to be more cinematic. Well, it's like the source material was very cinematic. So it was going to be hard for it not to look like Breaking Bad because Breaking Bad was always cinematic. And Breaking Bad has a clearly defined style. And we have talked about this not only when we've discussed Breaking Bad a little bit, but also in our, our deeper dive with Better Call Saul, which you don't remember happening. <laughs> we've talked about how it has such a distinct style to it such unique camera work and shot compositions and things like that sex in the city to go back to that example did not in fact much of sex in the city again something they dropped once they got larger budgets but a thing that happened on cable shows for a long time and it wasn't just sex in the city that did this a lot of cable shows did this it was kind of the cable show thing for a while whereas you would have a single camera pointed at an actor's face and they would be fourth wall breaking talking directly to the audience this happens in so many 90s cable shows. It's because cable shows didn't have the budgets that network shows did. So they could fill up space with a single camera setup of someone talking to the audience and make it feel like it's a stylistic choice. Dozens of shows. <laughs> Everything from like late night sort of sketchy shows like Red Shoe Diaries, which had David Duchovny as a, a pseudo narrator, to Tales from the Crypt with the Crypt Keeper, to even shows like Dream On and things like that. A lot of shows did this. So Sex and the City did the exact same thing, where they would have characters, fourth wall breaking, talking directly to the audience, narration, and things like that that are filler. 
there is no style to Sex in the City. It was a low-budget show that eventually found an audience in its later years, had something of a budget. But then when you make that jump to the movie, to a big-budget movie, it just felt like something that was so far out of that universe that you were watching something totally different. And it made it that much stranger that it seemingly crossed over to this weird low-budget sitcom. Then on the other hand, you have something like The Simpsons. It's an animated show. (laughs) So, I mean, unless they were going to completely change the animation style and go with, you know, 3D, CGI, Pixar style stuff, it was always going to look exactly like the show. So I feel like with those extremes, there's just nowhere to go. So one of the things that I think helped this is, like Kelly was saying, it has a cinematic style to begin with. So I think that they just, you know, took a little bit of extra money and and emphasized that a little. And also kind of breaking off on a slight tangent off of that. So this is available on Netflix, which I don't think we mentioned. It is also being released theatrically, though. There are screenings of this in theaters. What are your thoughts on something being available theatrically at the same time that it's available for streaming for essentially free if you're already a Netflix subscriber? So I think it comes down to what experience you want and like i mean i would have i would have absolutely loved to have seen el camino in the theater because again cinematic and it would have been a really impressive thing to see in the theater as well it does create kind of an interesting you know financial decision to say i really want to see this i can consume it instantaneously at my leisure when when i want to how i want to uh for basically the cost of an already sunk cost of your netflix subscription versus shelling out something at the theater. So I don't mind it. I mean, it's an obvious, I won't say ploy. I mean, obviously the intent of doing this is to open up the door for potential Academy Awards, to say you really can't be considered for an Academy Award for a movie if you don't show in a theater. So I think. <laughs> I'm not really super familiar with the rules, but I think that's a rule. Uh, so It is. Um, it's, it's actually very highly debated at the moment because this is actually getting a larger release theatrically compared to other Netflix productions. Netflix has appeared in the Academy Awards with their originals for the past couple of years and even won a couple of awards now. And they're getting a lot of pushback from other filmmakers and studios and things like that because they're saying that these aren't really feature films, they're TV movies, and that the one or two screenings that they'll set up just to technically be a theatrical release to be eligible shouldn't count. Yeah, so then you get into what's the definition of uh, a movie, (laughs) which could get interesting, which to me is if you can pause it and get a sandwich, it's not a movie. (laughs) So so at least a version of El Camino, you can't pause and go get a sandwich. So it's a movie. And El Camino is, again, comparatively to other Netflix releases, having a wider theatrical release. This is not in theaters everywhere, but it is in a handful of theaters for more than a single screening, which is what most Netflix releases have gotten just to meet technical eligibility requirements for the Academy Awards. Yeah, I think which a good example of that would have been Downton Abbey, but I'm not even going to go through the charade of, I had someone who kind of liked <laughs> I saw Downton Abbey in the theater. So it's all right. I liked it. I've never seen it, never seen the show. I've been told it's very good. It is. It also, different there that, I mean, it had a leisurely pace regardless, but they could kind of roll stuff out over episode, episode, season, season, and then when you go to a two-hour movie, you're like, well, we're going to open up some plot 
threads, and then we're going to tie them up all. And so it, there, you were able to anticipate certain conclusions pretty quickly. Not a lot of surprises, but I like I like it. I think it's a good show. It's distinctly different than a lot of stuff I watch, but I actually did like it. Interesting. I will have to give it a, a watch at some point. It is done, right? It is done. Okay. Because, I mean, that just makes it easier for me consumption-wise. If I watch a few episodes and I'm into it, I, I can just, like, I have a, a road trip coming up where I, I'll have an opportunity to be in a car for many, many hours to get to our destination where I could potentially watch a season of a show. Boy, if I'm even indirectly responsible for you watching Downton Abbey while you're on the road, uh, my life's complete. Bucket list item, check. <laughs> hey, guys. I have something for us. <laughs> and there's Mike sitting on the road calling me up. What have you done to me? So, sorry. How has my life come to this? But back to El Camino for a moment. <laughs> so we, we, you, we're going to try hard not to spoil because we want to kind of make sure people don't. But you will see, and they've been transparent about this, there's going to be about eight characters from the Breaking Bad universe that will make their appearance in one form or another. Uh, in this. So that's always kind of neat. One of the challenges, and you had mentioned uh, in some of our exchanges offline, that hey, and you mentioned it here tonight as well, the idea of opening the door for more of these. I'd be, I would certainly be game for it, particularly if Gilligan's behind it, because it'll be, it'll be good. But we're running into a problem that these actors are all aging, unless you're going to go all Marvel on it and kind of de-age people. Uh, it's going to be tough. Jesse, you know, um, Aaron Paul can easily play Jesse because one's going to assume several months in a bunker uh, being tormented by Nazis might age a guy a little bit. So you can kind of see Jesse looking a little more world-weary coming out uh, of his bunker time than than prior. Brian Cranston can kind of, if if he happens to be in this movie, could probably hold his. Could Thanks, prob- Kelly. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Late in the movie. Uh, so... He could probably hold his own on there, but uh, and this will be uh, will, this will be one one spoiler. The most beloved character in Breaking Bad, uh, Todd, the the dopey Nazi. <laughs> he's a he's a great actor and a super creepy character, but um, like a lot of us, after a few years, Todd's put on a few pounds <laughs> since Breaking Bad, and. I found that that was the only portion of this entire thing I found mildly disoriented. It was like, man, Todd must have been hitting McDonald's a lot after uh, during parts of this movie. Because and it was yeah, but without getting too much into it, he he's the one that probably didn't read and translate as clearly to the same time frame as the rest of the people that may or may not appear. I feel like everybody. The biggest examples to me, and I'm not going to insult people or body shame anyone like Kelly did because that's not cool. Um, I but did, I did not shave him. I just pointed out he like me. I put us together in a club. <laughs> just say, that that together we've we've discovered the joy of carbs, and um, it's, it's a thing. It happens. Um, so Todd, if you guys are not familiar with the Breaking Bad universe, you obviously should go and watch this. You may also know him from another Netflix production, though, uh, Black Mirror, and particularly the episode that he starred in, which is a sort of Star Trek centric episode or inspired episode uh, won a bunch of awards. So if you guys are, are Black Mirror fans, you'll know exactly the episode that I'm talking about and you'll know who we're talking. So yeah, he he has definitely, he shows a little bit more of the age. 
I, all of them do though and i actually wanted to ask you about this because so there are flashback scenes where they they make aaron paul look a little bit younger through makeup and different things like that but they don't go the cgiing his face route <laughs> um that is becoming very popular these days in fact uh, another netflix movie that's about to come out that is going to be the target of a lot of this this uh oscar controversy because they're doing a screening or two of it to to get it into oscar consideration is a martin scorsese movie the irishman and apparently much of the cast is going to be heavily cgi replaced when the movie comes out um it stars a lot of older actors like robert de niro and al pacino and joe pesci uh, who have all aged dramatically since the last time they, they've had big starring roles like this. So they are going to CGI all of their faces to make them look younger. Will Smith was recently in a movie <laughs> that has a lot of CGI de-aging in it, and there's a big controversy over that as well. Not for awards purposes. This is a little bit off topic, but the Will Smith movie is apparently not being shown on the correct frame rate in theater. So people are are complaining that his CGI de-aging is not very convincing looking, but the director is counteracting that with it is not being, and this is apparently true, this has been backed up by a lot of movie sites, it is not being shown at its proper aspect ratio and frame rate that it was shot at, which is not the standard frame rate and aspect ratio. So most theaters are not equipped to show it the way it was meant to be seen. So it does create, I think an interesting idea moving forward of doing this. So did you see the Tron sequel? I did. I did not. Uh, I'm aware of some of the aging. Uh, yeah, that was there. the first one that I was aware of where that was done really extensively, not just like the early X-Men movies did it, but in small doses. I mean, they did it their full faces, but it's very brief scenes. It doesn't work that well, <laughs> but the scenes are very short. So it's almost nitpicky to kind of go after them. Tron, the second one, was the first one for me where there was like extensive use of that. There are long sequences of someone with a fully CGI head replacing their head that doesn't move much in that because that was <laughs> the early days of it. Like it looks like a CGI head on top of their head. So I, I haven't seen the trailers or anything for The Irishman, so I don't know what that looks like. But I can tell you that having seen this becoming more and more popular, I was actually relieved that they didn't do it. And even though with a couple of them pulls you out of it a little bit, like Kelly said, he did it in a really mean way, unlike me, because Kelly body shames people, and that's not cool. Don't be a bully, people. That's, um, a, that's a great point, ageist Mike. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I actually appreciate it that they didn't CGI their faces. And like Kelly said, with Aaron Paul, it's, it's a little bit more passable because... You know, he's supposed to have been through this harrowing experience. So for him to look a little bit more weathered makes sense. But then when you get a character like Todd, who you're supposed to be seeing him on, you know, an average Tuesday of his life or whatever it is, you know, you can see a clear difference. This is a much older man now. Another surprise cameo spoiler. I'm going to say it up front because Kelly didn't on his. <laughs> you see Kristen Ritter and there's nothing wrong with the way that Kristen Ritter looks. Ever. But she doesn't look. <laughs> what'd you say? Ever. Ever. There's yeah, nothing no, I, wrong with she looks ever. Nothing. Yeah. Kristen Ritter tweeted us. Um, <laughs> there's nothing ever wrong with the way Kristen Ritter looks. But you can tell like she, she looks different than she looked in the show. And, and that's, again, in her case, perfectly fine. <laughs> but <laughs> we're, we're we're okay with that. We are 
we are fine. <laughs> you Chris- can give us as much Kristen Ritter in anything as That's you right. want. <laughs> and boy, she'll All be. Producers. She's, she is going <laughs> to sleep well tonight when she when she hears this because I'm sure she's a squatty and right. when she hears uh, our approval, that, I'm sure that's going to mean a lot. Kristen Ritter has aged quite well, yeah. but she doesn't look the same as she did in Breaking Bad. So you know, I actually appreciated that they didn't do that because I do think for the most part, and I I haven't seen the Will Smith movie, and again, even if I did, I'm not going to be seeing it the way it's supposed to be seen, which according to the director, it looks amazing if you watch it the way it's supposed to be. But I have seen extensive use of this stuff over the years, and for me, it's distracting. I would almost rather the actors look different, but this one of the things about Breaking Bad and this whole universe is I think they have consistently found such talented and strong actors that I'm fine with them looking a little bit different. Like I'd rather just see their performances, not a CGI head distracting me from their great performances. Yeah. And, and Jesse Plemons as um, Todd does. So mild spoiler, I guess that we're since uh, he's, he's in this a fair amount. He adds additional creepy dimension to Todd uh, that uh, we, it was well done. That is one quirky character to play, and he he has nailed it from the beginning. He does such a good job. I'm a fan of his work, unlike Kelly, who just tries to body shame this poor actor. But I'm a fan of what this guy does. Uh, I thought he was great as Todd. And then, you know, he did a great job in Black Mirror, and that episode in particular has been singled out by so many people as being a high point of the show. And I, I know it won some awards and stuff. I don't know if he specifically won, but I know that episode did. So it was cool to see him back. And like Kelly said, he is a, you know, spoiler alert, he is a big part of this movie. Uh, there is a, a subplot that carries through the movie involving him in different sequences. So he is a big part of this movie. I would I would have liked Kristen Ritter to be a bigger part of this movie, but it's understandable if you're familiar with the trajectory of her character, why she is not a bigger part of it. And of course, as Kelly gave away, we do get a little bit of Brian Cranston. No, he's not still alive. Although they have AMC has sort of tied this to the walking dead universe a little bit. I wouldn't be totally mad if zombie zombie (laughs) popped up at some point. Sure. Is it jumping the shark? Yes, but I it's, it's so crazy that I would almost accept it and forgive it. Yeah, I mean, back in the day, my favorite character, Merle, uh, Merle Dixon, uh, had uh, amongst his uh, stash some fine blue meth in his little goodie bag. And uh, so they have always played a little bit of, yeah, there's maybe these universes are kind of sort of connected a little bit. I would, I'd pay good money for Zombie Walt, without a doubt. <laughs> I uh, would, yeah, I would not be mad at it. Is it jumping the shark? A hundred percent. I couldn't be mad though. Sometimes something is just so crazy that you have to embrace it for for what it is, and that that would be one of those things. So if the next movie has Zombie Walt in it, I'm rolling with it. As long as we get more Kristen Ritter, I'm good. That's right. Not non-zombie Kristen Ritter. Although she I mean, she would make a fetching zombie, I'm sure as well. Yeah, I, I'm not saying I wouldn't take Zombie Kristen Ritter though either. <laughs> I I'm I'm open <laughs> to. <laughs> So to kind of wrap it up, I think I'll throw out one last spoiler that at least I I tripped up on in watching watching it and just momentarily thought, wow, they just did a huge continuity issue. This was super lazy. How did they let it get by? And then I very rapidly connected the dots, and it was actually incredibly cool. And that is, so we're going to kind of check in uh, with Jesse after he escapes 
in the El Camino, the Nazis, and there's a montage sequence showing a bunch of the sites that we knew well from Breaking Bad, including the restaurant that was Polos Hermanos, which as they show that restaurant, you see the word twisties across the front of it. And I thought, really? They totally spake, because that wasn't that the actual restaurant that they would redid as Polos Hermanos is twisties. And so I was like, you, you, as you reshot this, you couldn't be bothered to put Polos Hermanos up. But I kind of forgot timeline-wise, this is well after Gus was found out, lots of big problems. So, of course, there would no longer be a Polos Hermanos there. There'd be something else. And I thought it was incredibly cool for them to basically give the folks from Twisties a nice shout-out by featuring them for a nice little shot going through. But when I first saw it, I thought, like, oh, crap, they forgot to CGI that up. But upon further reflection, it's like, oh, no, you guys, you know what you're doing, and I don't. I'll just sit and watch. <laughs> so what we've really learned tonight is that Kelly doesn't have faith in the filmmakers behind the Breaking Bad universe and also likes to body shame actors. And I have full faith in the people behind these productions, and I don't body shame people because that's not cool. So if you walk away with nothing else tonight, those are the things you should walk away with. Now, let me ask you, though, what was your overall feel on this did you like it i i don't think we actually said that yeah i enjoyed it i view it kind of much more as an extension of the breaking bad storyline but for that i i can't it's hard not to like the work done by by these folks by the actors cinematographers and writers they're out they're crass they're crass people so they do a fantastic job so I enjoyed it. I stayed interested. It was a character I was invested in. And so it was interesting to see kind of how the path took him at the end. So I enjoyed it quite a bit. You? I really enjoyed it. I agree that it feels like a prologue to wrap up Jesse's story. And I'm fine with that. And I think they handled it excellently. I think it's something that fits perfectly alongside, but alongside Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad, but still you know, feels like it's its own entity, the same way that Better Call Saul feels like it's its own thing. I, I feel like you could watch Better Call Saul and enjoy it. You wouldn't get everything out of it if you weren't a Breaking Bad fan, but you could still enjoy the performances and the writing and the core stories of that show without even necessarily being that much into the Breaking Bad universe. And I feel like if this were a standalone movie, if they took out the connections, in a lot of ways, this story itself could still just work as a standalone movie, but it feels like a perfect wrap up to Jesse's character. And I would be curious if they were to do more, who would you want to see them do? Like, what would the next sort of character piece be for you? I think we've already clearly established the Kristen Ritter story would be something that we'd both be all down for uh, some more Jane. But I think of kind of all the kids. So I think we're getting bonus material and Mike Armand Trout through Better Call Saul. So I think that's kind of covered and I loved every moment of that. Yeah, I really, Skinny Pete and Badger, I could watch them for hours and hours and their adventures. So I don't mind them. Lydia might be another pretty interesting one for me. So I'd probably say Skinny Pete and Badger just for the pure fun and enjoyment uh, with Lydia as a second. I would probably have to go with Skinny Pete and Badger. I, I think it would be a little bit lighter in tone than, than necessarily some of the Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul stuff, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think we've seen just excellent writing and that they could completely artistically pull something like that off. I think doing doing a whole, you know, day in the life of kind of thing the way they did with Jesse and this, I, I would love to see that movie. Okay, on that note, please remember everything Mike says is not true. <laughs>
All true. Well, I have one last question for you. Oh, okay. <laughs> in this in this very short episode of Squat Gobbler, if you, since we already did all the spoilers and everything, if you were going to restart your life somewhere, if you could run away somewhere and restart everything, where would you go? So not Alaska. <laughs> not that that is relevant to anything, but um, <laughs> I I think uh, that's tough. I'm gonna. I'm going to go with um, the Bahamas. I think I'll go with the Bahamas. Bahamas are a good choice. I'd want to go somewhere more rural, I think. Mountains, distant neighbors. I don't know about Alaska. <laughs> rural. For, for whatever reason. <laughs> yeah. For whatever reason it might be that we're saying that. I don't know about Alaska rural, but rural. Like somewhere in the mountains. Somewhere a mountain region. That'll be good when the zombies come. Bahamas will be okay, too, because I don't think they can swim. All right. Uh, Thanks for listening, everybody. As Mike has mentioned, please like and subscribe, and we will be back with you again next week. Thanks, everybody.